You are listening to the Creekside Church Message Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon by Pastor Terry Riley, titled Off the Bench, from the series Vision and Values. For more info, visit creekside.org. If you would take out your notes and uh, turn to John chapter 2. I'm going to use that kind of as a starting point and just make a couple of quick points. I want to do something with you, hopefully just a little fun get you thinking. We're going to talk about serving today. We're going to our values. Remember, values are the behaviors of an organization, uh, a church that really establish who you are, who you become, and what you do. And um, everybody has values. Some of them are stated and unstated and unknown, but I want you to know to, to be really clear on what our values are. I'm talking about something today that I haven't talked about for a long time, and I believe it's had some effect on our church. But I really believe this, God gifts every one of us. Some of us have a hard time coming into this kind of a setting because everybody thinks that this is, that it's the platform that makes the difference, but it's really the people out here that make the difference. And um, you can set me up for failure or success just based on how you respond to people as they come into this place. And um, so, but every, every one of us in this room, I believe, is a 10 somewhere because God has given you skills, He's given you gifts, He's given you enablements, and sometimes we just don't know what they are. We don't understand them. And so, therefore, it holds us back from being people who serve. So what I want to do, just as a little fun thing to start off, uh, I want to tell you just about a three-sentence story, not a story, a happening, and pretend that it happens right here. And then I want you to either write down or think, what is your kind of knee-jerk response? Does that make sense to you? I'm going to tell you about a three-sentence happening, pretend it happens right here, and then go, what's, what's your first thought on how you respond to it? Okay. So let's say I'm up here just coughing my brains out, and uh, all of you are just going, oh, poor PT, but there's this little boy, he's 10 years old, and he sneaks around through that door, goes into our kitchen, gets a warm glass of water, sneaks back in here, and he's walking up here, and he's just really excited with this glass of water, and he's going to bring it to me to help me in my misery. But as he comes up, somebody doesn't see him, and they just kind of slide their chair out just a little bit, and this little boy catches his foot on the leg of the chair, falls down, breaks the glass, water goes all over, and there's this broken glass right over here. He gets up. You can see his little chin quivering because he's embarrassed and he's uncomfortable. So here's the question. What do you do? Okay? I'd love to take time to get your responses, but I want you to think about it. Okay? What do you, what, what's kind of your first response? What do you do? Well, here's, here's, some, here's some things that based on gifts that God enables us with that would be examples of how we'd respond. Okay? Let's say you have the gift of mercy. You might respond something like this. Oh, I'm so sorry this happened to you, little guy. I know how you feel because when I was younger, I used to fall as well. Are you all right? 
That would be your kind of first response. How many say that's kind of who I am? Oh, Jesus, help this church. <laughs> okay, here's another one. No, I'm just kidding. There's, there's, we had enough mercy, people. Here's another one. This is a person with a leadership gift. So this person would stand up and go, hey, a couple of you, go get a mop and a bucket and get a broom and, and, a, and a little uh, pickup because we've got to get this thing cleaned up so it doesn't stain. And uh, you just stay back and uh, so it doesn't, you stay there and kind of watch it so it doesn't spread around too far. But all of a sudden now you're directing people and telling them what to do. And then you go, oh yeah, by the way, listen, this kid, he took a pretty bad fall. Let's call a nurse. Is there a nurse around? Let's get a nurse over here and check this out. That's what a leader would do. They would get right in the middle of it, and they would start directing and taking, you know, kind of directing traffic and getting people to do things. How many of that was kind of your first response? You were thinking you would do that. Okay, good, good. How about this one? If someone had the gift of encouragement, they'd say, hey, let's have the little guy go get another glass so he doesn't have this experience stay with him, and it kind of imprints his mind. So you would say, hey, young man, go get another glass, and I'll, I'll kind of help you do it as well. And so you send, them to, you send this little boy to do that. You're encouraging him so this doesn't stay with him. How many say that's kind of how my, what I would want to do or how I would respond? Okay, that's, that's an encourager. Okay, how about the gifts of help? You see it happen, and you go, I'm going to go get the stuff to clean this up, and then I'll put it away, and I'll sweep it up. I'll take care of this, and then I'll go get another glass of water. How many said that's them? Yeah, that's, that's a person with the gift of helps. You just get in, and you do it. How about this one? Here's someone with the gift of teaching. Hey, young man, next time you need to watch where you're walking. And you need to kind of carry that glass with both hands and make sure it's dry before picking it up so it's not wet and slick. That way, you know, not only won't possibly slip out of your hands, but you really got to watch where you're going. How many said that's, that's what you would do? <laughs> yeah, nobody wants to own that one, do they? Or how about the gift of giving? Someone says this, boy, that was just a really nice glass. As a matter of fact, that was so nice. I'm going to go buy another one. Matter of fact, I think I'm going to buy six in case that ever happens again. And so you go out and you say, I'm going to go do that. I want them to make sure they have plenty of glasses for future activities. How many say that's kind of who you are? We need to work on that at Creekside too. We need, we need some more people with the gift of giving. Or how about this one, the gift of administration? Hmm, by the way, who designed this area here? You know what? I'm not so sure. I think, I think is, this, is this room properly set up for people to be able to walk through and to get through and to move through? Is there enough room between each table and chairs so that that, so that, that shouldn't happen? And they begin to administrate that and they begin to come up with changes that they're going to make so it doesn't happen again. How many kind of have that kind of bent, this administration thought? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, some of you engineer type people. Or how about this one, the prophetic gifting? Son, be sure and hear the word of the Lord where you walk. Make sure that your ways are straight unto the Lord. Anybody have that one? Yeah, no, probably, well, some might. But our, giftings, our giftings are so unique and so different, and many of us have the same, but all of those are needed to really help us in terms of do what God's called us to do as a church. And he's designed us that way. None of these are right or wrong. None of these are better or worse. 
They're all needed. We're talking about our vision, our preferable future, and our values, the behaviors that we really want to, that we are committed to, to see happen at Creekside. Uh, Mark 10, 45, it says that this was Jesus' mission and vision for his life. He said, I came to serve, not to be served. And our heart is simply to take on the heart of the master, to take on the lifestyle of Jesus. If you attend 101, which is the prerequisite to becoming a member, you would have heard me talk probably at some point as I walk through our values that <clears throat> we really believe in doing church as a team. Many churches have churches that are set up where 20% of the people do 80% of the work. And that's why those churches may not function well and move forward. Because you really can't function for the long haul if you've got 20% of the people doing 80% of the work all the time. Because we believe we want to get everybody involved so that we have maximum efficiency with minimum weariness. We don't want people getting burned out. We want people when they come here that they enjoy what they do. That there's something that they're doing what God's called them to do. Regardless of how small it may seem. Everything that we do around here is critical and every person becomes important. You can't read the New Testament without understanding the importance of serving and God using those enablements that he gives you. 1 Peter 4.10 talks about that God has given us gifts and abilities to be used for ministry and service. Romans 12, 3 through 8 talks about the same thing. 1 Corinthians 12 and 14 talks about all of these gifts that are to be used, and the meat behind it is always love. You read 1 Corinthians 13, that's the meat, that's the point that it says, and you do these things, these giftings, you serve out of your love for God and love for people. As a core value, I want to challenge people to invest themselves in serving others and to move themselves from isolation. You'll see on your table there, there's some puzzle pieces. I'd like for each of you to take one. You can take it home with you. Matter of fact, I'd like for you to do stick in your Bible or I glued one to my Bible this week on the inside flap so that I remember I am a part of the puzzle of Christ's church, and then for some of us, specifically Creekside. Think of a puzzle. This puzzle, you can't tell by this one piece, but it's a beautiful picture, 550 pieces of Noah's Ark. And it's kind of out in this, almost like this garden scene. And then all of these animals are just kind of around it, and it's got this very soft look to it. Now, by yourself, there's, there's nothing beautiful about this piece, but you put it together, and it has this incredible work of art. Here's the problem. A lot of times in the church, a lot of people come, and they sit, and they don't engage, and so the church, you know, have you ever come to a puzzle where you maybe had 500 pieces, and all of a sudden you realize, oh my goodness, I'm missing three pieces. That is not a good puzzle, is it? Well, think of that in terms of the church. God has framed this place in such a way that he says, Bob, I want you to be a part over here. Jill, I want you to be a part over here. Sam, I want you to be a part over here. Tim, a part over here. Susan, a part over here. And whenever we're not functioning in some of those areas that God's called us to function in, what happens? Well, we're like this incomplete puzzle that lacks the beauty and fullness of what God called us to have. Ephesians 2.10 says this, that you and I are his workmanship created for good works. He's talking about salvation in the first nine verses of Ephesians chapter 2. 
And then he ends it and he says, and because you've come to Jesus Christ and because of what he's done for you, guess what? He's making you this poema, this work of art. And he says, I want you to become that piece of art that wherever I place you and plant you, that that begins to be worked out in these good works that take place. And here's the question. Are, are there good works that you're involved in? Now, hear me. This is not about, this message today is not about making Creekside a nifty, cool, whatever church. Hear me. What I'm talking about today is this, is Creekside is called to this community. Creekside is called at different levels to this world. And for us to be able to infiltrate and infuse the life of Christ into this community, it will take all of us banding together to become this beautiful puzzle and mosaic of what God's called us to be. And some of us, we think that church is a place to just go and sit and absorb and to receive like a big sponge. And hear me, loved ones, that's not what church is about. Church is to be a missional entity. Go, therefore, and make disciples. Don't stay and hear and listen. Go and make disciples. And that's what every part of our church has to be about while we're here and growing through these other things. But we don't want to become so comfortable that we can never move. It was a couple of years ago, a wonderful Creeksider family took me to a Warriors game. I took Trina to a Warriors game. It was really, it was awesome. Because we got to sit up in this section. It wasn't a luxury box. It was kind of more of a sky box open area. And we got up there, it was really cool because we were sitting there, we got this, just this great view of the game, and over here was this buffet of food and drink, and we had these high tables that we could just sit at, we could move around, you know, we had all this room, so we'd go over and get a plate of food and get some drinks, and we'd sit down, talk, and watch the game, and get up and get some more food, and drink, and talk, and watch the game, and a couple more trips to the buffet, you know what I'm saying, it was great food, and it was just available. But you're watching this great game, and you know what? What I realized is that was fun and wonderful, but that's not really where I wanted to stay. It's a nice place. It's a safe place. All of my needs were met there, and it was a great time. But when I'm in that area, guess what? You're never jostling with the fans. You're never getting booed, and you never have the opportunity to get into the game. And you know what? The game isn't played up there. It's down on the floor. When I was a little boy growing up, I loved sports. It was my identity. I started playing basketball from the time I when I was in fifth grade. And from the time I was in fifth grade until, I was, uh, until, my, until the end of my freshman year, I was what they call a bench jockey. What that means is I rode the pine. I sat on the bench. Game time come around, I didn't, nobody knew me coach didn't even know my name. You know what? Who's that guy at the end of the bench? Ah, forget it. He's not very good. Well, I had made a decision that I was tired of that, and by the time I was a sophomore, things started to change. My whole idea and understanding when I started getting into the game, started playing where they kept score, not just practice, was an incredible change in my life. And it was exhilarating, and it totally revolutionized my competitiveness, my understanding of what's really important. 
I would never want to go back to the bench. I never want to stay in the skybox. I want to be in the game. And I want to challenge some of us here today, loved ones, that we get into the game. Because this was so important to Jesus. You cannot read the New Testament and be a spectator. Wherever Jesus went and he called his followers, it was always to engage in the hope of the world. Now, you know how some messages bring you great hope and they make you feel good. And when you leave, you have peace and you have hope. And you go, oh, I'm so glad I went there today. Oh, thank you, Lord. You, ever, you, remember, you know those kinds of messages? I try and do those as often as I can, but today is not one of those. <laughs> because when Jesus talked about serving, it wasn't to make people feel good. It was bottom line, grassroots this is what needs to take place. And he simply challenged them with straightforward words and straightforward thinking with things like this. If you want to follow me, then you'll have to be a servant like me, which means lay your life down. Put others' needs before yours. If you want to be great, then you're going to have to be a servant of all. And when people begin to hear this kind of stuff, they would have to decide, do I really want to follow this guy? So I want to talk to you simply and straightforward today about something that's important to Jesus and why you need to get into the game, why we need to be a church that's in the game. And what you miss if you just sit around and you kick back and you just kind of enjoy it. The first joy that we get to experience, because service will always bring joy, is you get to develop the gifts that God has placed and given to you and me. I want you to look at John chapter 2. This is an incredible passage that's filled with the divinity of Christ, revelation of Jesus. But I want to draw two statements out of here. It's Jesus' first miracle. It says, On the third day, a wedding took place in Cana of Galilee. Now, Jesus' mother was there, and Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding as well. <clears throat> now, it says there that the wine ran out. So Jesus' mother told him, Hey, Jesus... We don't have any more wine. Inference, could you get some for us? I don't know if he's supposed to run to 7-Eleven or what, or if she had an insight and revelation as to what was going to happen. But Jesus responds, and this is, you know, you kind of go, wow, easy Jesus. But he goes, what, what was this concern of yours to do with me, woman? Now, the idea there, woman, is a very endearing term in that culture. So it was, you know, tatamont is still kind of saying mother, but don't, it wasn't like, hey, woman, get off my back, Okay. <laughs> But Jesus, Jesus asked that, and he said, you know what, my hour has not yet come. So what was his hour? He's really talking about this revelation of his divinity, that he is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that this will be seen and shown through his works. Well, verse 5, I love this. She, she doesn't get bent out of shape. She listens to him, and she just says this little, uh, stand, uh, little phrase, do whatever he tells you. First thing you always want to do is make sure Jesus is involved in your wedding because he'll bring, bring incredible joy and fulfillment and all of those things. But secondly, do whatever he says to you. You, you. you want to experience life at its fullest? Do what he says. You may not understand it. You may not like it. You may question doing it. But when you do it, it will always bring fulfillment and grace and power to your life. So Mary says to the servants, do whatever he tells you. Verse 6 says, now there were six stone water jars that had been there for Jewish purification. Each contained 20 or 30 gallons. 
So we don't know how much time has passed or elapsed here. But Jesus says, fill the jars with water. He's speaking to the servants. So they filled them to the brim. And then Jesus said to them, now draw some, (coughs) excuse me, now draw some out and take it to the chief servant. And they did. Now when the chief servant tasted the water after it had become wine, (coughs) excuse me, he did not know where it came from, though the servants who had drawn the water knew. He called the groom and told him, everybody sets out the fine wine first, and then after people have drunk freely, the inferior. But you have kept the fine wine until now. And so Jesus performed his first sign in Cana of Galilee, and he displayed his glory, and the disciples believed in him. You get to see when people, when we serve and we represent Jesus in these ways, people get to see his life. And that's one of the, probably the earmarks of Creekside overall, that when people come here, they talk about the love of the people. They talk about the way Creeksiders serve and bless people. And that bespeaks of Jesus because he's the one that said, I come not to be served, but to serve. But what I want you to notice here, who got to see the miracle? Can you imagine ladling out or pouring out the water and all of a sudden it turns into this deep, rich Merlot or, uh, I don't know, Cabernet, whatever it is? And these guys are going, whoa! And, And then the taster says, wow, this is the best. See, when you serve loved ones, guess what? You'll get a courtside seat to what Jesus does. I wish I could, you know, we, in, in churches years ago, they used to have these Sunday night services, they'd call them testimony night, where people would stand up and say, this is what God's done for me. Uh, we, we don't do that anymore. And we don't have time because we only have so many services a year, we can't do it on a Sunday morning. And I, I can only tell you stories every once in a while, but I wish I could, we could just tell you some of the stories of what God's doing in the hearts and lives of Creeksiders here. We, we can't do that. But you know how you can begin to see it and notice it? Get involved in ministry. Get involved in serving. Because you get there, you'll get a courtside seat at what Jesus is doing in the hearts and lives of people. A lot of us, we sit back, we don't ever see it. We go, what's God doing here? Well, you're not engaged. So it's hard to see unless God drops something or somebody in your lap. But one of the first joys of growing and developing the gifts that God has given you is this joy of serving. 1 Corinthians eleven seven says this, Now to each person who has been given spiritual gifts for the common good, for the building up of the church. Listen, God has hardwired every one of us, loved ones. He's given us abilities and gifts and strengths and motivations and passions. And when you come to Christ, we receive this part of the Godhead, the triune God, the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, who begins to activate them so you can make a difference. I tell you this because one of the common reasons that people give for not serving is this. I'm not qualified. I don't think there's anything special about me. And I think about that, I've thought about that for 30 years. 35 years I've been in ministry. And I still go, wow, God, I, this little kid, you just kind of pulled him out of the trailer park in, uh, trailer park in Oregon, and, and now I've got to come to this place where I get to speak the Word of God, and then I get to travel the world. I never thought I'd get out of Oregon. 
And I get to share the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ. There's not a chance in the world that I would have ever thought that that could happen to me because I have nothing, no great skills or anything. I want you to hear that because it's the same for each one of us, that when God enables us, we're able to do it. But too many of us just sit back and go, oh, it could never happen to me. Remember the saying that God doesn't call the qualified, He qualifies the called. And a lot of us in in this room are great examples of that. I want you to note some of the people that God called and He used. He called Abraham and used him when he was on Medicare. Moses had a significant speech impediment. Joseph was a jailbird. Rahab had a history of sexual misbehavior and indiscretions. God used her. David commits adultery and he tried to cover it with murder. God used him. Elijah was bipolar. One day he outruns a chariot down the hill. Only the next couple of days he was suicidal because he had this woman chasing after him. John the Baptist, he ate bugs and dressed way out of style. God used him. Thomas doubted. Gideon was fearful. Martha was obsessed over house cleaning and food prep. I'm talking about the the Martha in the Bible, not Martha Stewart. But she was obsessed over it. Jonah was directionally challenged. Samson was relationally challenged. Zacchaeus was vertically challenged. And his integrity was challenged because he was one of those local IRS guys that was ripping everybody off so nobody liked him. God used him. Sarah was too old. God thought otherwise. Paul, the Apostle Paul, was not the Dale Carnegie of his day. He didn't have a lot of tact when it comes to dealing with people and winning friends. And Peter, he was a poster boy for SADD, Spiritual Attention Deficit Disorder. I mean, he just couldn't keep it on the rails. These are the very people whom God used to change the world. Here's a question. What's your excuse? What's your excuse for not engaging in the hope of the world, the church? I'm not talking about engaging. I'm not talking about going. I'm talking about engaging in service. See, anybody in the Bible could have said no to serving because they felt inadequate. But wherever that happened, they were never used of God. Dr. James Stewart, who was a professor of theology at Edinburgh University, he said it well. The greatest threat to Christianity is not ISIS. It isn't atheism. It isn't humanism. It isn't materialism. The greatest threat to Christianity is Christians who are trying to make it into heaven incognito without ever sharing their faith, without ever becoming involved in the most significant God is doing on the planet Earth, His church. You hear that? Paul keeps coming back. He wants to bring us back, loved ones, to God. 1 Corinthians 12, in those first six verses, he says this, there are different kinds of gifts, but it's the same Spirit. There's different kinds of service, but it's the same Lord. There's different kinds of outworkings of those, 
But it's the same God. He's always at work. It's the same God that can work in and through every one of us when our, when our life is simply yielded to Him. This is about what Jesus can do through us. It's why this, this idea of spiritual gifts is so important. But many don't understand this about the church. God's plan was not to simply be for the church to be another volunteer organization where people get guilted into or manipulated into serving. We have to understand that God fashioned us and when He called us and we responded to that call, He enabled us with certain gifts and things to be able to be used in the process of leading His people and to be engaged in this community that affects the community around us. It's not about nagging. It's not about guilt. And I say this because some of you here, you have, you're, you're crunched for time. We live in a world. We live in a culture. We live in this society, in this area called the East Bay. Listen, you don't want to be nagged and manipulated into certain things to do. But if we don't understand that God has actually called us, if we don't understand that God has equipped us, then we'll sit back and we'll have our excuses and we'll never move forward. That said, some people use the idea of gifts not to do anything. I've had people that said, well, <clears throat> hey, I'm a singer, man. That's my gift. That's what I'm going to do. I'm not going to do anything else. Are you kidding me? How much gifting does it take to stack chairs? How much gifting does it take to set up tables for kids? How much gifting does it take to cut out things for little kids? There's things that we can do within our gifts and some things that sometimes we just need to do outside of our gifts. That said, people use the idea of gifts not to do anything. But God created the community, the church. He created spiritual gifts as an amazing idea for every follower to follow his plan in this new community to be an influence not only here but in the world. Every one of us loved ones has a part to play. We've got to be led by leaders. We've got to be taught by teachers. We've got to be administrated by administrators. Those who are suffering need to be consoled with gifts of mercy. Those who are isolated need to be included and touched by those with shepherding gifts. People with hospitality can open their homes and welcome people for meetings or for just taking care of them. But whatever, there are plenty of things that can be done. And every one of us in this room is attend somewhere. God has a great vision, loved ones, for our community. And spiritual gifts are fundamental and foundational, not only for where Creekside is, but where Creekside needs to go. When you serve in an area of passion and gifting or skill, when you make yourself available to God, guess what? You get to be like the servants in John chapter 2. You're the ones, we're the ones, that get to see God's work manifest in the hearts and the lives of people. When that happens, your faith gets built and you begin to believe that God can do great things. Honestly, there are no spiritual giants. There are just people in the stands or people who engage in the spiritual game. It isn't the game that you experience. It's in the game that you begin to experience the joy of developing your your skills and gifts that God has given you. Here's the deal. When I went to Bible college, I had one goal, get credits and play basketball. Now, honestly, that's what I did. By the end of my freshman year, 
I got married, and I worked at a youth camp for two weeks. And it was there that God used me. I just did it. I said, yeah, sure, I'll go. For two weeks, all I did was work with high school and junior high kids at a spiritual level. And it was during that summer that I came back and I said, Trina, we'd only been married for a month and a half. I said, I'm going back to Bible college. I think I'm supposed to do ministry. And it's only because I stepped out and I said yes to an opportunity. This past uh, Friday and Saturday, Trina and I traveled up to Seattle um, my first pastor, Pastor Bill, um, when I come back to the church after being away for years as a senior in high school, my parents ended up going there and um, went there, and it's where I found Christ. Well, this pastor died, and um, so we went up there. He is also the pastor that married Trina and I. It's interesting, Pastor Bill was not a very good teacher. Pastor Bill was not a very good leader. He never spent a lot of, very long in any of his churches. Probably, I think, seven years was the longest because he just didn't have the skill set to lead and to move a church forward and, or to teach it in such a way. I don't say that in any way in a negative thing. It's a reality and a truth when we talk about giftings. But you know what come out of his life? As I sat there through his memorial service and listened to his son's talk, and I knew this about him, he was a man who connected with people. He loved and he served people. Out of his church, he was a pastor in, I think for four years down in Jamaica, they were trying to start some churches and one day he was in a missions conference for our denomination and he heard them give a challenge and him and his wife started sending notes back and forth. Why not us? So they go down there and he ended up um, leading two uh, Jamaican men to come to Christ who ended up coming to the United States and starting a church in Jamaica in Washington, D.C. and another one somewhere else on the East Coast. He pastored the Portland church for seven years. Out of that church came a guy some of us here are familiar with, Wayne Cordero, who has started probably over 150 churches and has a large church in Oahu, Hawaii, who spoke here um, a few years ago. Very gifted, very talented man. And probably on any given Sunday, Wayne Cordero, will sp will, his influence will have come to probably 100 to 125,000 people on any Sunday because of his churches that have started and because of his ministry. Interesting, isn't it? He came out of Pastor Bill's church. There's another big dog that came out of Pastor Bill's church in Portland. His name is Terry Riley. And, um, <laughs> and, and, and his... No, no, no. Um, and, and, and his influence could maybe be seven or 800 on a Sunday morning with this church and the churches that he started. And I'm being facetious there, and it's supposed to be funny, not applause, uh, compared to Wayne Cordero. But here's the deal. Pastor Bill never pastored probably anybody, any church over 200 people. Yet, at least four men that came out of his ministry totally exceeded everything that he ever did exponentially. What's the point? Never, never diminish what God can do in your life. And when you think it's kind of small, you don't see the end result. God can use you. You might touch the child here that gets called into ministry and they do something big for God. Not that it's about doing big. It's about being faithful. But you never know what your influence can do. 
Pastor Bill influenced me for Christ. Second joy is getting into the game is that you know the joy of making a difference in somebody's life. That in this little corner of the world, you can make a difference in God's kingdom that matters for eternity. Strange thing we all know, isn't it? That when my aim is simply to please me, nothing will ever be enough. I don't, it doesn't matter how nice and how much food and how many goodies are in that skybox, at some point, I'm going to want something more. The thrill always wears off, doesn't it? People spend their whole life trying to acquire and furnish a nicer, bigger skybox for life. But you know what? In the end, everyone ends up in the same kind of skybox at the same address. It's about a six-foot box. And the address is Terry Riley, six feet under, somewhere USA. And it's the same for you. And then you really realize just how irrelevant it really is. What matters is doing and serving Jesus. And who have you helped in his name along the way? I was reading a story a while back. Uh, this guy, he was walking, it's a leadership story, he was walking through this first class part of the plane as he was going to his seat in coach. And he saw this group of people, they were just sitting around before the plane was taken off. He noticed that they were all talking and as their, lap, their laptops were up and they were talking about business and the laptops all had the same kind of logo from the company that the company had provided for them. So he noticed that and he walks back to his seat in coach and he sits down and he realizes that there's another gentleman there who's got the same computer that was a part of that group. And so he just walks him for a few minutes, the plane takes off, he puts his computer away and then he gets it back out after the plane is up and he looks at him and he goes, hey, this is interesting. How come all your comrades are up there and you're stuck back here in coach? He goes, oh, I'm the owner. <laughs> he goes, what? You're the owner and, and you're back here. He goes, yeah. He goes, uh, tell me. He goes, well, here's what happened. I inherited this company from my father. And when, I when my father died and I inherited it, uh, I really got the cold shoulder from all the workers there. And I started asking around, what's the problem? How come, you know, nobody's responding to me and my leadership? And he got, well, the word on the street was, because your dad, he never, he took all the goodies and gave us all the crumbs. He never did anything special for us. He never tried to help us become better. And we just figured you'd be more of the same. And so he goes, ah. So he made the determination that he would work to change that. So he set himself to serve and not be served. He set himself to help them flourish. And instead of him getting all the goodies, he gave them the best stuff. And one of the ways to do that was he'd put them in first class and he would ride in coach. And this guy who's telling the story said, you know what? The happiest guy on that plane was that CEO. Why? Because he learned what it meant to serve. Now consider this. Think about this. What would the funeral be like? What would the differences of the funeral be like for his dad and for himself? What would the people say? See, when you come to your last box, loved ones, what will matter is the people you ultimately serve along the way. A truth that I've seen lived out over the years now 
I have never met anyone who regretted a life of service, who came to the end of their life and they spent serving others that said, boy, man, I just wish I would have watched a little more TV. Darn, I, wish I, would have, I just wish I would have attended another game. Man, I just wish I would have done this or that. I, 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 I debated doing this, but I'm going to do it. Because there's so many people in this room and in this church that I could share, uh, share about. But I'm going to give you two just quick stories. G- give me a little bit of time this morning. I'm going to go over. But there's two people. They've been here the longest. There's Billy and Norma Lee Butler that have been here for five decades. And I think they're in their 80s now. I probably shouldn't say that. But they're older. And, and you know what? They have done nothing but serve in this church for over five decades. Some of you don't even know them because they're, they're just they're so stealth. But this church is almost built on his back along with a few others. You will never see Billy Butler um, and Normie up here praying. You'll never see him speaking. You'll never see him do anything like that. But they are some of the most valuable people in the kingdom of God because they stayed here during difficult times. Their kids stayed with them during difficult times. He probably did as much building on this building along with a few others as anybody because most of this building, this campus, was done by volunteer work. And it was not unusual for Billy to go to work at night, work graveyard at Shell, and come here and serve. It was probably 10 or 12 years ago. You see that nice brick facing around the, um, the front of our entryway there. It used to be ugly, 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 sinful juniper all across there. We pulled that out, and I said, we've got to fill this with dirt, and we've got to put a facing on there. And Billy said, I want to do it. I said, Billy, man, you're like 103, you know? <laughs> and he goes, oh, no, no, I just get me some guys to help me, and I'll do it. And so he's out there at 70-some years old and just kind of directing and still placing stones. These are things probably 30, 40 pounds. And he's doing it. Why? Because he had a heart to serve. And Normie's the same way. You know, Billy still serves here. He still comes in here every Tuesday or Wednesday and serves. Comes here a lot of Fridays, and he's folding bulletins, him and Normie and some of the other people. Adele King. You've seen her. She's, we call her the bingo babe. And I probably shouldn't expose her like that, but she's got the white hair, and she's a little older. She's probably in her, I don't know, 20s or 80s. And, um, <laughs> but she's a sweetheart. And, and, and uh, she's been here probably for five or six decades as well, still serving. You used to see her running around cleaning all of these tables. She takes care of the kitchen, sets it up, cleans it up, organizes it, bosses this all around to make sure it's in good shape. And that's a good thing. And I ask these people, why do you do this? Because I love it. What else could I do? It's what Jesus has given me to do. And see, loved ones, that's what I want you to see, the heart of a servant. You never get too old. You never get too busy. You never get too mature. You never get too far along. Jesus' aim was to build a community where everybody just does what they can do to make a difference. They're not pursuing their own agendas. They're not, used, they're not using their own gifts and skills for their own betterment. They're using it to make other people better and to make a church and a community better. 
And it's a beautiful thing when you begin to see lives change because you use your gifts. The third joy is when you get out of the box and into servanthood game. As you know, you're doing what's great in God's eyes and it's pleasing to Him. Listen, I say this a lot. Never forget this. We stand before Jesus one day and we give an accounting for our life. And these are the words I hope you want to hear. I hope you live with this kind of just entrenched in the deep recesses of your heart. That in Matthew 25, he comes to the end and he says, Well done, good and faithful servant. We have a big job that, that, that we, we, we establish this climate of servanthood to build an alternative culture to our world. Our culture focuses on, and they're so obsessed with stars and celebrities. Who's the greatest? I mean, even if you go, if you deal with a lot of Christian people, we really, we, we make Christian celebrities now. And what's sad is that when you talk and you hear the word on the street, a lot of these celebrities are like the people out there demanding, demanding, give me this. Don't bother me with that. They don't come to serve. They come to get served. And it's sad. Oh. That's not unusual. That started 2,000 years ago, remember? Remember Jesus, he's walking, and, and two of the disciples, they start, they say, hey, man, we want to know who's the big dog here with you, Lord? As a matter of fact, they sent their mother to go to Jesus, and this mother goes to Jesus and says, Jesus, I got these two boys. I want them to be in the skybox with you, sitting on your right and sitting on your left. What do you think? Oh, can you just imagine Jesus going, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? Do you know what this is about? One scholar said the single hardest lesson that Jesus had to teach his followers was that God defines greatness in terms of servanthood. So Jesus highlighted this with statements that still challenge us and grip our hearts 2,000 years later. Whoever wants to be great among you must be a servant. And the greatest must be the slave to all. That's life in the kingdom. One day Jesus took off his robe right before he died. Took off his robe, donned a towel, grabbed a basin, got on his knees to begin to wash the feet of his disciples. Think of the least favorite task you want to do around your house the most menial. When Jesus did that, that would have been it. Is it because it was his spiritual gift? No, it's because it needed to be done. And he said, this is what it really means to love people that you serve. At its core, loved ones, using our spiritual gifts is about following Jesus and doing what he did and engage in the greatest enterprise on the earth, his church. Servanthood makes churches and families and marriages and businesses great. When our boys were little, really little, probably three and four, we were living and I was busy. Had a job and we were starting a church and I was going to school in the evening. And there was this time when we lived there where I started in Manteca where I, I would take Trina out once a month. And it wasn't so much a romantic date night as it was a recalibrate my life night. And I would say to her, okay, honey, what's one thing? Give me one thing you want me to change or do better at as a husband, as a pastor, as a, as a father. Just speak into my life. Well, 
one time she noted and said, well, you know, I just love it. It's such a blessing to me when you just serve me and the kids. When you just initiate it, I don't have to say anything. You know, when you pick up the dishes and then you go clean them while I'm taking care of the boys because she had to take care of these two little guys during the day and, and all day. And says, man, when you help me with the dishes and I see you initiate bathing the kids, it enlarges my spirit. It makes me feel closer to you. It makes me feel more affectionate. It gives me ro more romantic desire toward you. And I said, I can do that. And so, man, I used to bathe those boys a couple of times a day. They were, they were, they were the cleanest kids in Manteca. And, uh, and they're 31 and 33 now, and I still ask if I can, you know, hey, honey. Can... But hear me, serving builds community. And it's one of the key heart points behind Creekside. And I hope you feel God's blessing and desire and delight in you. But hear me, loved ones, this is what I've noticed our church. And I believe it's where, 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 where we are right now because we're, we're, we've never been, after my first three years here, a 20% doing 80%. But here's what's happening. We're beginning to move toward those numbers because we're comfortable. We got this great skybox. When you come here, there's people that are serving you coffee. There's people that are taking care of your kids. There's people that are doing all of these things for you. I never ask you for money. Because God has blessed us. But it's in that comfort that becomes very, very dangerous to the mission of reaching a community. And I want to challenge us that we never lose our heart for the community and the world. And I hope every one of you feels his delight upon your life and this church. But some here this morning, you're in this seeking mode spiritually. Keep doing it. Don't stop. But some of you might want to engage in being a part of what we're doing here. I had this friend of mine who's been kicking the tires here at this church for a while now. He is not, he is not committed to Christ. He's, he's kind of committed to Creekside. But remember a few weeks ago, I talked about helping out with our children. He come up to me. He was the first one. He comes up to me and he's, got the, and, and, and he's almost broken. And he goes, what can I do to help you in this church? Will you let me? What he was saying is, because you know where I am. And I said, you're absolutely right. I'll let you. So he's going through the process to be able to help our children. Maybe some of us here have been through an extraordinary loss or traumatic season and you need healing. Take that time. Maybe you need to have the ministry of being served. I want this to be a place for you. But sometimes I get people that come into this church and go, oh man, I was just in a bad place. I, you know, I need, need a little time to just heal up. I go, great. Seven years later, you know? How long does it you know? And, and sometimes those, those things can be hard. But one of our greatest points of healing, loved ones, is when we begin to give back. Some of you are committed to Jesus. You receive grace and mercy from him. You know Jesus Christ died on the cross for your sins. You received the gift of eternal life and you decided to be a follower. God's spirit is in you. He's given you his word. He's given you a church. This church is committed. If you don't like that, I, 
That's who we've got to be. But we're committed to reaching our community. And if we ever lose that, we simply become a country club of Christians that just enjoys themselves. Our call is to change people's zip code from hell to heaven. And if we ever forget that, we have lost the mission of who Jesus Christ is. And it cannot happen if we're not serving. Some of you, you're still in the box. You've never stepped out of the box to get into the game. Today, I implore you, I challenge you with great pastoral love. Some of you need to hear this. It's time to get off the sidelines. God's calling you to do this. This is not a church of sitters and spectators. And some of you go, well, I'm going to get mad and I'm going to leave. Okay. I don't want you to, but, but you've got to hear this is what we're about. It's the mission of Jesus Christ. Well, I'm busy. I get it. We're all busy. That's our culture. But what, is, what are you too busy with that will keep you from someday hearing, well done, thou good and faithful servant? What's more important than that? I love what Elizabeth Andrews said. Servants and volunteers don't necessarily have the time. They simply have the heart. How can I find my gifts here? How can I find my place? There's a lot of things we can do. We're going we're gonna to reopen class 301, which is to help you do that. Um, well, I, I got some tests that I'll give you. I'll meet with you. We'll meet with you as a staff. We will help you. But that's not even the key. Here's what I would recommend doing. Remember I told you about becoming a junior high teacher? Once I did that, sometimes you just got to step in. You got to wait in. You got to try it. In your program this morning, there's this whole list of things that you just look at that and you go, oh yeah, that might be kind of cool. That might be kind of cool. Whatever it is, just try it. Thank you, dear. Whatever it is, just step in. The thing about Creekside, you never get stuck in anything. We will get you out within a week or so of you saying, I don't like this. But some of us, we just sit back and we don't engage. The best thing to do is say, well, that looks kind of interesting. Let us know and we'll, we'll get you in. We'll let you try it. If you don't like it, you'll never get stuck. I got more to say. I got to be done. Quietly stand with me if you would, please. you take your little puzzle. Could God, could God do something significant with this church if all of us had our peace placed where it belongs? Do you believe that? If all of us said, you know what, I got to get out of the box. Could God do something significant with our church, in our community, in our world? I think so.